welcome back to episode two, Back to Truck Up. Uh, I'm Justin, I'm joined with Rooster, and we're both 15-year veteran drivers. On today's episode, we have with us Ingrid Brown. Even mine and Rooster's careers combined pale in comparison to her 40 years over the road. Uh, Ingrid, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hey guys, thanks for having me today. I'm just like, whoa, I get to hang with my boys. Um, yeah, uh, Ingrid Brown, uh, I have 42 and a half. It'll be 43 years in the industry. And as a driver, as of December, uh, majority of that, which uh, 41 of that has been an independent woman-owned soul uh, driver, uh, contractor, owner, the whole nine yards. Uh, I think, let's see, I've been maintenance, safety, <laughs> billing, let me call you for my money, uh, <laughs> all of that. Um, I'm from the Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina, right on the Tennessee-North Carolina line. Um, I Listen, I have six amazing grandbabies, and uh, I travel 48 states, and I'm still trekking. I haven't made it up to Alaska yet? You know what? That's the only place I haven't gone, and I'm actually flying up there in September to see my niece, but I really want to go. So for me, the last state was South Dakota. It took me almost eight years before I finally crossed over that state line. I went from Montana Montana and South Dakota were like my last two states. What was like the last one you just, no matter how much you tried, you just, for whatever reason, never made your way through that state? I've been to all of them. Um, and I, there's not really one that I hadn't done quite a bit of travel in. And speaking of South Dakota, I actually care, went up there in 2020 in the middle of the pandemic. Uh, I was actually hauling to a, uh, breeding farm for, for cattle. <laughs> oh, I was up there in Aberdeen, South Dakota. Um, my my one that I've probably ran the most is uh, running here in North Carolina, uh, Southwest Virginia would be from here to California. That's pretty well been close to about thirty years of my of my careers running coast to coast, mm-hmm. um, and down to San Diego, running to Portland, Clackamas, Fife. Uh, I, my niche is pretty much reefers. Um, of course, I've, I've owned flatbeds and I've hauled heavy haul. Uh, I started out with, with hauling equipment for my dad. That's how I got started and pulling our asphalt tankers. Um, he had a road construction company um, and running heavy equipment and building roads. Um, uh, cattle, I've hauled, hauled livestock. Uh, I actually got out from underneath a cow trailer in 19. Uh, so a little bit of everything and been a little bit of everywhere um, and love it all. I can't say there's any place I don't like, and that includes the Northeast. I'll go to the Bronx all day long. I don't uh, mind. You can have it. <laughs> uh, I've had my, I've had my little fun with the Bronx delivering T-shirts. I won't do that again. I bet that was a trip because delivering T-shirts and that is completely different than going to the market. You know, that's, oh. that's definitely. Oh, I, I, the closest, well, I've actually been to a place worse than that. Uh, College Point, New York, Pepsi Distribution. You literally have to drive through Jamaica, New York with your truck to get to that distribution center in 
it's a nerves of steel type of route you have to run. You know, getting to Jamaica is nuts because we all know Jamaica's right there at the airport. And yeah. I used to haul detonators when I uh, was hauling for the Department of Defense and hauling munitions. And I would haul detonators up there. And as crazy as it sounds, I'll give you my, my craziest load I have ever, well, one of them. I have two. My craziest load is I had a Briar's ice cream box nailed in the middle of a dry van and nothing else in it. And it came out of Alabama and it went to Jamaica, New York. That's all I had in it. Uh, and I actually had to get escort across the bridge. It was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah when I, when I hauled hazmat, I, I did not miss those days. You got you to park at the bridge and call a phone number and then, wait for some guy to come by to uh, get his overtime to babysit you going across the bridge. Yeah. It, it is. How many times, and I know, and I, it, I shouldn't even be saying this, but I'm going to anyway, because it's human nature. Any driver that it doesn't get, but about 200 miles away from the bridge. And they've got on just like a Briar's ice cream box of detonators that aren't live. And you think, I wonder if I could just drive on. I wonder if I could get by with it. <laughs> I wonder if that would work. I really no, would. You could yeah, have camouflage there with the ice cream truck. I mean. Just flip the, <laughs> flick the placard over and hope nobody saw you do it. And then uh, wait for that ticket to come in the mail. Uh, so, Rooster, what have we got in the news this week? Oh, man, it has been a week of safety blitzes. actually got a little surprise in the inbox this morning, but... Uh, FMCSA, they're holding their I-81 Unsafe Driving Week Blitz that started on the 20th, running through the 24th, all along I-81, which runs through uh, Dangerous Tennessee all the way up to the Canadian border up in New York. We also have the National Highway Transit uh, Transportation Safety Administration with their own little campaign that runs from June 21st through August 14th. It's more of a distracted driving, speeding, and it's going to be targeting not only commercial vehicles, but also passenger vehicles. And just today, I just got an email of another FMCSA campaign on I-95. You know, those guys can't be uh, outdone running the entire length of I-95, uh, going from Miami all the way up to Maine. So be on the lookout for increased enforcement, looking for speeders, additional pull-ins to the way station, additional inspections on your truck. Ingrid, what's been uh, your experience with most of these uh, safety blitzes? Have you ever had one go more smooth than the other, or were you just like stopped every state line you cross? It varied. Um, you know, pre-pass makes a big deal. A lot of them, as you both know, they'll turn pre-pass off. I'm a big drive-wise and pre-pass girl. And reason being is it does save in time. It does. And and honestly, nowadays, especially thinking about fuel, it helps on fuel um, every time you got to stop and go. But I haven't really had any problems with it. Um, I haven't really met any that were really out to, like, cut my throat and get me really bad. Um, some of these, I think are, are needed. I think some of them are too much, you know, I, I think it's overkill. Uh, and then when you think, and I say overkill, 
By the way, Justin, cut that out right there because you know what? It's not overkill. It really isn't. You can't you you can't get overkill in safety. Uh, and what I say and what what I'm trying to say about overkill is that that sometimes they get a little a little slap happy at them. But um, let me go back and say uh, you can't have enough safety when it comes to equipment. We've seen guys that lose brakes coming off the hills. We've seen trailers burn up because axles are, there's no, you know, no grease in axles. We've seen drivers that are driving with their feet up on the dash and can't respond to um, somebody cutting them off because their feet's up there and they got to get their feet off the furniture. So my mama said the same thing. And I'm like 60 years old. I'm going to tell you too. Your feet belong on the floor. Get them off the furniture. Um, so, um, I honestly think that these are some good ways, uh, to, to combat the unsafe side. Um, sneaking up on us, well, you know, we all prepare if we know, and a lot of people will stay at home or they just don't care, um, or they just do it just for those blitz. And fixing your equipment one time a year, that ain't going to cut it. We need safety 365 days out of the year, mm-hmm. uh, not just one day. And going up next, we have our dear friends at Abbott Labs, everybody's favorite baby formula manufacturer. Uh, seems like they cannot uh, keep the plant dried. Uh, had a little flooding issue, you know. Not two weeks after they restarted the lines, Abbott's, Abbott's plant had the, up at uh, Sturgis, Michigan, had to shut back down, got flooded out. They're having to dry out the plant and bring in a third-party company to make sure to, everything is sterilized and clean. But Abbott is very happy to import more formula from its German plants, you know, and Big question I have on my mind, you know, what's the cost difference in baby formula made overseas and, you know, that made domestically, you know, uh, if supply is one thing, price is another, you know, can, you know, young mothers afford baby formula nowadays? Ingrid, you got anything to add on the Abbott's laboratory fiasco? Have you had to haul any baby formula here recently? I haven't had baby formula, but I got a question for you, Rooster. You got, I mean, I got 10 fingers and I got 10 toes. Well, that means that I can count. And that means that I'm going to know whether something's missing or something's not. All I got to do is count it. How in the world have they let baby formula of all things go to this Uh, point? uh, Okay. Okay. Let me let you in on a conversation I had with uh, Freight Waves editorial director rachel premack <laughs> yes not only is there one baby formula plant that abbott has in the united states but have you caught the wind of the whole tampon issue the tampon shortage that's going on supposedly i saw that i mean well hell. guess what guess what? what there's only one tampon plant in the united states too Oh dear, good gosh! Procter and Gamble on, has one has one tampon plant up in Maine, but here's the deal: they import the eucalyptus fiber, which th- that makes up the fluff and the tampons and mm-hmm. the, the liners and all that. They import it at 
Jackson, Port Jacksonville at the SNS Cooper Warehouse. I've been in that tight little warehouse more times than you can count. It, it, it's there's more people out in that lot, make sure truckers don't hit each other than flight crew out on a tarmac at the Air Force Base. It, it's it, it's crazy, but they import it at Port Jacksonville. Then truck it. They don't put it on the train. They truck it from Jacksonville all the way up to outside of Portland, Maine, where the plant is. Okay. Now that I think about it, okay, being a woman, you know, you do only see Procter & Gamble tampon products on the shelves. I mean, okay. I mean, it's not okay. But... <laughs> How in the world? There can't be one person that's monitoring this stuff. And if they're going by inventory on a computer, this is why Ingrid hates computers. They're only <laughs> as good as people I know. But I hate a computer because either people don't look at it or it's wrong. Well, nobody cares to steal shelves empty. Exactly. And when the shelves exactly. empty, everybody goes pitchforks and torches. This is one of the drawbacks of the, the just-in-time supply chain solutions. You know, when everything was running smoothly, it was great. You had low inventory, stuff was moving in, moving out, worked great. And then along comes COVID and any weaknesses in the supply chain were, you know, showcased immediately. And that's what we're seeing now. Everybody put all their eggs in one basket. You got... One factory that makes the baby formula. You got one factory that makes the tampons. But there is how many toilet paper factories out yes. there right now? So <laughs> Absolutely. Exactly. Yes. That's why. And that's why I think when the toilet paper shortages were happening, that kind of, it was a hiccup, but then they were remedied almost immediately because you got like 20 plants out there that could just ramp up production, no, no problem. But when it's just one plant in the U.S. that's making these products, you know, that's, that's really hard. What other products do you know of that only have like one plant? <laughs> right oh. now, I'm just like, my head's blank because I'm like trying to filter the fact that this is going downhill with, and I'm I, I'm not well sure how you really go about addressing it because if they're not addressing it, they're not going to listen to us. Uh, I wouldn't say they're not addressing it. It's just what can literally what can they do? What like, can they do? The, right. The, the baby the baby formula plant was first shut down because of contamination, and then now it's shut down again because of flooding. It, right. Exactly. So you know, there. You know, I was I was uh, to throw this out there. I noticed that in Metter, Georgia, they're close to you, Rooster. The oh, pharmacy boy. over there had extra baby formula. So they are trying to get out to people, hey, we have baby formula. Come, you know, come on. Yeah. So how many other places that maybe the three of us could start doing some research and start getting out everywhere we can of even just small community places that may have some type of, of you know, uh product of baby formula tampons there's got to be more stuff than that of course um because yeah, the, the raw material coming in has to be able to go to other places too all these exactly. plants are doing is just taking the raw ingredients and putting them together and making the end it, product i i can't imagine it, it has to be all that difficult to find a plant that's maybe doing something else that has less demand but then could be i wouldn't say quickly retooled but you know at, at least get up and running faster 
than building a, a brand new plant from scratch. Right, right. And you know, uh, I was talking to a really, really good friend of mine at church Sunday and owns a very large lumber uh, here at home, actually in Lenore, North Carolina. And right now it is taking him four to six weeks for train to get from Washington State down here to Lenore. And then they can't come all the way into Lenore because they've, they've closed the line for a lot of their products like that. For uh, So can you imagine Jacksonville to Maine? I mean, yeah. and really, if they're not that concerned about tampons, sorry, but, you know, if they're not that concerned, then, <laughs> you know, how long is it going to take to get the product up there for it to be, you know, in production? So mm-hmm. we, got some, we got some major, you know, industry problems here on, on trying to get product not only manufactured, but getting the essential needs of, of the consumer at the, at the tail end of it. Yeah. That's kind of where I see this stuff going. It's like, as long as everything's running smooth, nobody pays attention. But then the minute that there's one hiccup, everybody starts seeing the holes and wondering why they weren't plugged initially. I'm just curious, like what the next product that will have shortages will be. Okay. You two guess. What do y'all think it's going to be? Rooster? Well, hey, you watch the news every day. There's another food plant burning or a chicken yes. house group burning. Or now we have cattle dying by the thousands out in the Midwest. So uh, we're going to have some food shortages if stuff like this catches up. Uh, I got a running tally about all the food plants and all the stories. And it's like four pages long right now. So it's 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 getting rough. Yeah, it's so hard to read the news on on all that stuff and not be super conspiratorial about it. It could be that somebody's running around and burning up the plants. It could be these buildings were just old, not being maintained. You know, like the, the one with the cows was interesting because all the articles I was reading, the wording was super important. It was heat and humidity is what they were saying killed the cows. But then you read in the comments and everybody's speculating that they must have been poisoned and and whatnot but like there's no if there if they were you could test the water and figure that out but i guess it's just nobody's seen that many head of cattle die off at once like that before mm-hmm. so, right so everybody everybody's just trying to reach to the extreme conclusions well look at the water supply in california that's going to cut our well not going but that has cut our produce back um you know i talked to colby farley with ats uh, I did an interview with him and did my fireside chat back in December, and it was already looking bad then. Well, where I'm getting ready to do another one with him, and I mean, it's it's he's in Salinas, he's he grown up and is a grower up there, and and I mean, it's produce is going to be cut back. Right now, they were estimating 27, percent but now they've increased that, and don't have an exact number right now. But yeah, that's that's going to be be something big there. Justin, what is your what What do you think the next product's going to be? Yeah, again, it's hard to tell. Uh, I could I wouldn't have seen tampons <laughs> being a shortage. Um, yeah, I think Rooster's pretty pretty spot on with the the beef and chicken plants. The difference with those is like there there are a lot they're a lot more decentralized than these other products. I I would have to like do some research and see what's something that's like super centralized and vulnerable for supply chain weaknesses like we're seeing with these other two products. My choice and my pick is fuel because I just saw again and I just uh, got some in a group text of now loves 
is facing out in the Midwest is facing no fuel. Yeah, there were some supply pickups uh, on the East Coast with that a couple of weeks ago. I, I've yeah. heard a little less than that, but I, I think what's really going to make it vulnerable is this um, tax holiday they're proposing right now because, sure, it'll knock up to 50 cents off the price, but if they're not increasing supply while increasing demand, now you're going to have shortages. Yeah, yeah. So are you two going on vacation this year? I mean, due to... <laughs> To... Can, can you can you afford vacation? That's the better question. Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. We, we just had a mini a mini vacation over in Lancaster, um, so it's only an hour hour and a half away from here. It wasn't too bad. I was hoping to do one in August, but right now it's uh, who knows. I think going to Chattanooga was my vacation. <laughs> yeah. I got to play on Freight Alley. So what can I say? Sorry. No, we, got, we got one. We got one coming up in November. I know, I know. It was fun last Friday. I had a blast. Uh, talking about that fuel tax holiday, uh, John Gallagher, uh, the, our Washington, D.C. correspondent, just put out an article I'm reading right now. Uh, President Biden is urging Congress to suspend the gas and diesel taxes for three months. That will kick the 18-cent gas tax and 24-cent diesel tax which basically funds the Highway Trust Fund, which pays for federal road maintenance. Uh, it's going to kill it, kick it down for, you know, three months, and they're going to pull $10 billion out of the Department of Treasury's general fund to cover it. That's the proposal right now. Is that going to keep people in, in jobs that are doing road construction and, and highway repair i mean what is that going to entail as it as it goes down well i'm glad you asked ingrid because not too long ago let me see uh there is now an audit being done i believe by the department of transportation office inspector general making sure the federal highway administration has been allocating their funds from the uh, Biden infrastructure bill properly. So that already brings the question of where's our money going? Hmm. <laughs> well, you know, I, I honestly, I'd like to know where it's going to, because, you know, I'm paying $550 uh, for highway heavy use tax at 2290. Mm -hmm. And that goes to your state. Okay. Well, each state gets that. And, Oh, I don't, I don't even want to guess. I want to say 13, 15, 18 years ago, all of a sudden, the states started one by one by one uh, moving that over into their general fund because they were short on state money. So they were taking our highway, highway use tax instead of fixing roads. They were sending it to general fund. Well, guess what? It's still happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, the allocation of hey, if I'm sending you money and I'm paying IFTA and I'm paying road tax and fuel tax and I'm sending you an additional 550 per unit, then fix my doggone potholes. Uh, I, I'm tired of getting back, you know, I, I have to pick myself up out of the floor between the seats, you know, uh, blocks on the fuel pedal still is there and you're like messing with me, so never mind. <laughs> Yeah, and some states are proposing their own gas tax right now. Yes. Their gas tax holidays. 
Yeah. So now the question should be not where is my money going, but where is it going to be coming from? <laughs> you guys are on it. I'm telling you. <laughs> and by the way, everybody, IRS form 2290 is due August 31st. So don't drag around to the last day. Get it done. Absolutely. Actually, August 1st, the last day is the 31st. Sorry, I don't mean to correct you, but, you know, sometimes some of these guys and ladies and people, they might need a little, let's, you know, it's kind of like telling me to be there at 7 a.m. to breakfast. And, you know, I, I'll be there uh, just maybe a little bit late, although it's 8 o'clock. We're good. <laughs> All right, so we were talking earlier about uh, the safety blitzes. I've been pulled over for plenty of inspections and, you know, no stranger to having them when you're going through a way station. Uh, but what's this about a rolling inspection, Rooster? Oh, God, you just got to hand it to my boys down in Georgia, you know, Georgia Motor Carrier Enforcement, finding new ways to have fun with the drivers. Uh, this guy actually got caught on a, uh, on a, dash, uh, a rear dash cam of a guy that was just minding this business going down the street during rush hour morning savannah and he had a dump truck behind him and uh, you know it's stop and go traffic not going too fast and this georgia motor carrier enforcement officer in his no big black and silver tahoe pulls up next to him kind of hangs around his rear axle for a couple of minutes and pulls on up by the cab and all of a sudden you hear blasting over the pa system driver you need to get that mud flap fixed that thing's not going to do you any good and you look at the driver of the dump truck and he is looking all over trying to figure out where this sound is coming from and he's probably checking his underwear he finally looks at the window and his eyes pop out and is like oh the bear oh no <laughs> so uh I don't know. Which would you rather have, Ingrid? The uh, public embarrassment get called out <laughs> by the cop or just go ahead and take the ticket? You know, the officer did him a favor, but which would you rather not have? I'll, I'll take the public embarrassment. I, I, I'll take it. I mean, if it needs fixing, I'd rather him, like, yeah. And, and I, I'll get over that. And it's a good story. I mean, I could call y'all and tell y'all, you are not going to believe this. So, I mean, it's a good trucker tale, but it's the truth. Instead of paying that fine and getting that ticket, you know? Yeah. I, yeah. Well, how, much, could, how much is mud flap tickets? What, 150? There, there's somewhere not? as an equipment, yes. And you kind of figure, let me tell you, do you know that Arizona, uh, and not that I would, well, I can't say that. Uh, I, <laughs> Arizona, you have no sale mud flap tickets and what that means is sale not as in on uh, sale spend money it means that they have to have mud flapways which is most of the country but they can only be or they have to be three inches from the ground yeah uh, and no no shorter and they literally run that pretty hot and heavy and it's like they go in spurts you know uh it so, you know, it's, I think I would rather this guy go, hey, uh, Ingrid, <laughs> fix your stuff, which it needs to be fixed. I'll take that. But at the same time, I think I'd take the humiliation rather than forking out the $150. And my pride would be hurt, but 
I would, it would be hurt worse if I had to pay the ticket. <laughs> yeah. One of the nice things about driving a postal truck for the years that I did was most of the time the cops don't even look at you. They get bigger fish to fry, so to speak. <laughs> And uh, I had one guy, you know, going up and down 95, you hit that construction traffic and speed limit goes from 55 to 45. But being that it's Philadelphia, you know, all the four-wheelers are doing 75. So you, you bump it up to 55, 56, you know, maybe 60 just to keep up with traffic. And uh, I was cruising one time and cop pulls up next to me on my driver's side. And all he did was flash his lights twice. And then I, I cut the speed back and then he just kept going. Yeah, how many times have y'all had them like pass you and you're like, oh no, and then they they just tap the blue lights and keep going. I mean, I yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't know. I just heard about it. The worst, okay, the worst case <laughs> one I had was I was coming out of um, Anniston, Alabama. We had just finished our load and we were uh, beating feet to get home, and we're going east. I can't remember the city we were going through. Check my mirrors. It's a guy in front of me. He's slowing down. So I check my mirrors. Mirrors clear. Get in the left. Pass him. Get back. By the time I'm getting back to the right, there is this black, smoked out, completely like the matte black uh, tint. And he's already got his lights on. I mean, he's just, just pissed. Absolutely pissed at me. So I pull over and he doesn't have a badge. Completely unmarked. And he's already screaming at me. And I, I'm hovering my finger over my red panic button in the truck because we're hauling the, uh, the DOD freight. And mm-hmm. I said, buddy, you got, you got two seconds to show me some credentials or I'm pressing this button and we're going to be here all day long. And he just kind of got back to his senses for a second and realized, okay, chewing out this driver is not going to be worth my time. So he just got back in his car and left. <laughs> and it, it's, it's amazing how everybody handles different situations, you know, and, and we've all three been involved in that and, and sharing stories like this, is reality. This isn't fabrication. There's not anything that we're saying that that is just, you know, blown up. This is true. This is this is real life. That's why the three of us do back the truck up because we are real life. This is this is what we do. So it it sometimes it's like too hard to believe, but it it is real. It happens. Yeah, Bruce, do you have any uh, run-ins like that? Uh or was it you want to talk about? <laughs> I was going to say, uh, which well, one of you here. Uh, really, the only time I got pulled over, I don't know if you know where Willacoochee, Georgia is on US 82 in between uh, Tifton and uh, Waycross. It's a little bitty old two-stoplight town. Uh, kind of running a little bit hot trying to get to the house. Uh, back when I was, I believe it's when I was working with Werner, uh, they would always offload me at Jacksonville at their little uh, intermodal drop yard, and I have at the deadhead to the house. And it's about three, right at three hours going up US 1 to catch an 82. And I was tied on time 14, 17, 14 hours, 70 hours was about out. I'm trying to get home from running out. <laughs> so I'm like going a little bit too fast through the town and then cop pulls me over and he's like hey, you know how fast you're going sir i'm like yes officer i do <laughs> and we, we talk a couple of minutes i'm looking at the side of my eye the clock's still counting i'm uh, like man i'm gonna get stuck out here in the middle of nowhere with no hours <laughs> and he finally lets me go and i think i got home with about two and a half minutes to spare Ugh. wow <laughs> at least you got there i got home 
No, I don't don't miss the LEDs whatsoever. Uh, Rooster, is right now a good time to buy a new truck? Oh, or new new to you truck? Uh, maybe a new to you, but I don't think I'd be buying one shiny off the lot. Yeah, uh, truck prices are have been sky high, way above what they should be for the last about year. But uh, data coming out of the auction blocks, like Richie Brothers, are starting to show some decline in used trucks. New off the original lease, you know, the three-year-old, the four-year-old trucks, they're actually starting to come down. The only thing is, you know, if you want a shiny new trailer to go along with it, you're going to have to start working that phone. Uh, a lot of the trailer manufacturers are still packed on their books year out, year and a half out. Uh, vice uh, executive vice president of sales for Great Dane, Chris Hammond, had a quote go out there. The uh, Great Dane is not even opening up its order books for 2023 yet because they're still having to deal with supply chain issues by getting parts in. And so, if you want to get a spot for a trailer, you basically got to call them every day and see if somebody's canceled. Because right. as soon as there's a cancellation, that spot's getting filled with another order, according to Chris Hammond. And Staunton Trailers Vice President of Sales, David Geeson, he had this comment. We still have trailer uh, customers requesting more equipment than we can build. There's still significant pent-up demand, especially in the dry-van trailer market. Yeah, one of my uh, first reality checks when I joined the Postal Service was just how old and busted a lot of the equipment was. The trucks weren't too bad. They had 2006 uh, Max. But the trailers, oh my God, we had Wabash trailers from like 1994 that they were still running. You know, my mom worked at Wabash until I think from 90, 94 to 97. So I was, I was hauling probably some of the trailers she made. <laughs> yeah. And they, they finally just this year, right before I left, um, they got some brand new uh, uh, Hyundai trailers. I believe, but the only ones they could get were 28 feet long. So they're great for getting through the city, but if you get to a, a station, as they call them, not a post office, but yeah, if you get to a station that requires requires a larger trailer, you know, you're stuck. Now you got to make multiple trips. So yeah, even the postal service, the, 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 gov- the federal government is having a hard time uh, getting equipment just like everyone else. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's crazy. Um, I'm fixing to do a uh, interview with one of the salesmen at Jim Hawk, Trader Sales. And um, dealing with Great Danes right now, I mean, it's, the same, it's just like you said. I mean, everything's back ordered. Slots are all filled. You know, people are buying other people's slots. Um, if you find somebody that's dropped a trailer, oh, yeah, buying slots right now is a hot commodity. It, it's like a bidding war. Trucks the same way. You know, Peterbilt, Kenwood – they majorly all the slots are filled they're not opening up anything uh 2023's filled 2024 last i heard there are literally just a few handfuls left of slots for 2024 and they're not looking at opening anymore right now on production and you know the main thing is yeah there is that that part uh at least we're not seeing texas motor speedway uh I actually went by it back in February, and it 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 had emptied out. Now, last fall, the end of the, the fall there, it was completely packed waiting for sensors for Peterbilt's from Denton, from the plant. Um, now, it's coming to the point that it's not as much parts availability, 
as it is staffing, as it is in mm. in manpower, as it is in you know I, the days of I mean Peterbilt used to be three you know three shifts. Then our you know when it went down to two, and now it's it's kind of a skeleton crew of uh, uh, I'm looking and not looking, but I will be going and doing an American on eighteen wheels. Uh, from Denton, um, as well as going to Kenworth, uh, and a couple more um, uh, getting set up. Um, I'm also working with Great Dane to get in. I only live 21 miles from utility. Uh, their drive-in division is right here, 21 miles, and then if you go the other way, I'm like 29 miles from the Reaper uh, facility, and it's it's crazy. Uh, there's half, maybe. Uh, I just went by there when I went to Chattanooga. Half of inventory there. Mm. Um, all of the ones like where, because they decal uh, while the trainers are there, uh, whether it be Prime or Food City or Kroger or whoever. Um, there's no decal trainers there. So it's going to be interesting, guys. Uh do I want a new truck? Oh, I'd love to have a new truck. But I'm thinking that I probably don't need to buy a new truck right now. I, you know, it, it probably is not my wisest decision. Let's compare and contrast everything. So if I'm I'm a driver and I want to buy, like, you know, the shiny new toys and all that, what was it like when you were buying the, 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 the truck and trailer you have right now? What was, like, the buying process back when you got it? How old, First of all, how old is your truck and how old is your trailer? Well, I, you know, I sold my last personal truck last year um, and put my authority on hold and I decided I was going to retire and uh, was contacted by the Fridays and uh, they were stepping out to build a new facility. And uh, he asked me if it, he basically drives the show, you know, his show truck, you see. Um, and it's a it's a 17 um, and the trailer's a 19. Let me back up to my days because it was crazy. Uh, two days ago, my build sheet on my 2017 Peterbilt at that time popped up on my, uh, I was looking at my phone and my build sheet was in July of 16. My truck was built October 13th of 16. It was delivered in November of 16 and I drove it off the lot the 18th of November and that was with some pretty pretty major upgrades all my lights and my visors and bumpers and all kinds of different paint and all that was already done you know I had that time to get that done trailer wise um oh it was literally nothing uh they had a what I wanted on inventory, uh, boom, you know, uh, Hey, I want a dump valve here. No problem. Take me half a day to do it. Uh, so the turnaround phase, this was all the way up even into 2020. Um, when all of a sudden everything shut down, everything shut down and you weren't able to, I'm going to say second quarter of 2020 is when it was everything started getting pushed back. I know the Kenworth, uh, the my peach Kenworth that was uh, the one that was kind of the backup truck, the fleener truck. 
It was a right out of four month process from the time it was ordered to the time it was delivered and ready to hit the road. Hmm. The, the days of giving the spec sheet of what you wanted and driving it off the lot are done, huh? Pretty much. I mean, if you hmm. want it, you're going to look at eight, nine, ten months down the road. And then only if you get a build slot. Build slots are staying really, really um, stable. In other words, the way they're scheduling a build slot, they'll go ahead and give you your build date. They give you a build time. My my last Pete, uh, when they sent me my build date, they gave me the build time meant my frame would hit the line at 1037 in the morning. And it literally hit the the line at 1037 in the morning. And I had minute by minute that I could find out where it was on the line. And it was on, on, on that line. Um, sort, of like, sort of like buying a BMW. Yeah. Yeah. Down in South Carolina, BMW does the same thing. So we're going to see whenever, uh, I hit the plant and, uh, I'm hoping South might get to go with me or, or see how we, I, I believe so. And, and let, you know, we're going to see how this is working now. And, uh, you know, if we're into, you know, if it action is the company that transports for like Packard and Freightliner and Volvo, they are a transport company. They're the ones that deck two or three trucks and boom, they deliver. Um, I think they've had a, the, the manpower and woman power. Um, has been, you know, dropped for them um, because they had so many layoffs because there was no sub- production of trucks moving. So now they're starting to pick up and that's getting a little more better on time-wise. But there's trucks that are sitting there ready to go, finished, and they may sit there two months wow. uh, before they're yeah. ever, ever delivered. Yeah, right before I uh, got off the road, my my literally my last haul was picking up uh cooling units the radiators the all the hoses from cummins down at uh port charleston taking them over to Renton, washington for kenworth and kenworth's no staging lot for they rack up trucks and ship them out was completely packed so you know it's it we're going to have a lot of trucks, you know, sitting around at dealerships waiting. And all these guys that bought new trucks back with the rates for $4, $5 a mile. Now that they've dropped down the, you know, national truck loaded index was showing below $2 a mile. Now those guys that, you know, kind of didn't plan for this and can't make the payments. We're going to get a lot of used trucks coming in that have been turned in on the, on the inventory. So it's going to be a little bit of a mess at dealerships for a little while. Do you know two things that are probably not even, unless you're in the market for them, you're not thinking about it. APUs you can't find. Thermaking yeah. APUs, best of luck. You cannot find them. And reefers. Yeah, last time I looked at a Thermaking APU brand new, it was almost like 18,000. But you can't find them. They, yeah. nobody has them in stock, but here's the thing, just like with, with Dean, where, where I'm at pull, driving the flat top. Okay. He ordered two brand new trailers. Okay. Trailers came in, 
The units sat in Miami at the port in a container for almost seven months. Wow. Because they never got cleared and all of the paperwork and everything else to get them shipped up to Iowa to get them installed on, on the reefers. So there's so much of this stuff that people, you know, we go through all oh, the ports, there's, there's, you know, containers sitting out on the water. There's containers in the middle of the ports. What's in those containers could literally keep the supply chain in a much better situation, in a much better state than what we realize when we realize, I mean, guys, come on, there's probably tampons and baby formula in some container in Long Beach or New Jersey. It's just somebody doesn't know where it's at. So somewhere the system needs to be, we need to figure out what it is because when you've got reefers and you've got APUs, that tells you there's a lot more than that that's sitting in uh this, this, somewhere the system has really got a whole lot of fragments. Yeah, and especially with the baby formula, a lot of them have uh, temperature control restraints. So if they are sitting in a container somewhere, you better hope it's in a, a reefer box. Otherwise, uh, that stuff's already spoiled. Yeah, but how would you how would you come up? I mean, and being the porch, yes, and pulling dry containers, yes. But, you know, pulling a reefer container is... Are they getting fueled? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, and now the price of fuel and now the supply of fuel, it, it, it all is something to think about. Anybody that's listening to y'all's podcast, I'm sure has a lot to think about today and every day that you do this. <laughs> yeah. Well, when we're not thinking, uh, we're also smelling. Uh, what is that you smell out in the distance there, Rooster? Well, unfortunately, one of my favorite things in the whole wide world, uh, Jeff Peanut Butter out in Rantoul, uh-huh. Illinois. Yeah, Rantoul, Illinois, if you don't know where that's at, it's right above Champaign, Illinois, about 10 miles up I-57. Well, a uh, questionable truckload of it fell over and caught fire, total loss to the truck and trailer. Uh, come to find out that Jif peanut butter was part of that national recall for uh, possible salmonella in, in, in the stock. So uh, one has to wonder if it's recalled product heading disposal, but it's in a total loss accident. Will Jif get to claim cargo insurance and still make money off that peanut butter? That's a good question. <laughs> According to the record service, their quote, it was recalled product going to disposal when the accident happened. Okay, so not not a big loss. It's a huge loss, Justin. You know why? I live I live on Jif peanut butter and I won't eat any other brand. I live. <laughs> I sit with a bought a big thing of Jif peanut butter 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 between the seats of my truck. I have about 15 plastic spoons, which I probably use one and I just take it <laughs> off and still use it. And I live and can make, I forget to even eat any meals because I can eat Jif peanut butter. And that's the only one I eat. And I'm like, so when's it coming back, guys? 
Jiff peanut butter and Ritz crackers. That's all you need. When, <laughs> guys, when is Jiff coming back? Do you know? I don't know. I mean, remember what was it? The one last, a couple of years ago it was uh, Peter Pan. Like, yeah, did Peter they ever Pan, recover from that? Yeah, I mean, Peter Pan was you no. Know, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe Peter Pan and Jiff is owned by the same company. You know, uh, and one of Jiff's production facilities is plant is the Planters Peanut right outside of Albany, Georgia. You know, that place got hit by a tornado along with Southeastern Carriers not caught long ago, and. I believe like the same, if not same day, if not next day, they were still running peanut butter down the line, what they could. But mm. I mean, geez. Is it like at the uh, Duff Beer Factory where it's just one tube and then it splits into three? <laughs> <laughs> I actually think it's one tube that splits into about 12 in yeah. order to keep enough peanut butter supplied, everybody. Well, I don't know what they do to Peter Pan, but it tastes like cardboard. So I'm just sticking with Jiff, or I'm not eating nothing. That, that I mean, might be the that might be the extra extra roasted peanuts, you know, the stuff that stays in the oven too long. See, that's I what I want to know. I want I want to know what that accident smelled like. Me too. Me too. I, 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 I want to well, know what it smelled like. <laughs> Uh, well, according to Feldkamp's towing, there was they had a record service that worked the wreck. They had to bring in excavators and track hose to clean it up because, you know, when you heat up peanut butter, it separates into the protein and the oil. So you, now you got peanut oil, so it probably smelled like a deep fryer. <laughs> oh, yeah. I just, like, how do they, like... What do you got? Get, get like guys with buckets out there and like scoop it all up or a mop? <laughs> well, a mop. I, mean, I mean, a track hoe, according to the pictures, they had a track hoe, a little baby bulldozer, and, you know, multiple roll off containers to clean it up. I mean, it was full 44,000 pounds of peanut butter. Then you had the trailer and truck basically chop up and put in there. I'm going to guess it did not smell like peanut butter cookies. Uh uh-uh. uh. No oh, bummer. I the, the visual I have in my head is you know you take so I have a two year old and he loves peanut butter jelly sandwiches and sometimes I'll toast one and like Rooster said when it gets hot you know it separates so you got two slices of toast with peanut butter on it and it starts to run. Now I just think that in my head forty thousand pounds of that in a bucket on a track hoe, Justin. Yeah. yeah. How I mean that, that to me I'm with you. I'm visualizing this stuff running over the edges of the bucket Oozing down the bucket. Out of it. Yeah, yeah. The three of us put together, you know, we could be dangerous in visualization. <laughs> <laughs> I love you guys. <laughs> Bring back Jeff. Bring back Jeff. That's all I'll say. <laughs> uh speaking of danger, uh Rooster, what do you think is more dangerous? Uh, autonomous trucks being pulled over by the cops or thieves pretending to be cops pulling these trucks over? Uh, I mean, Skynet approaches everybody. Uh, Texas State Patrol was getting some lessons from Embark Trucks. They have one of the oldest autonomous truck uh, programs out there. They were, they were being taught how to properly pull over the company's autonomous vehicles that operate along the I-10 corridor. You know, they're autonomous expressway like they, you know like they call it, like to call it uh basically the question on everybody's mind is how long is it going to take thieves to copy the technique and you know, pull the car over you know is the camera going to automatically recognize a flashing blue light and immediately start to try to pull itself over i mean you can buy light bars off of out of any 
no chrome shop out there, you know, just put a little flashing light on. And, you know, what about different states, different localities? They have, most have their own unique light bar setups, you know. Uh, everybody knows the infamous giant five-gallon bucket-sized red light Michigan has on their state patrol cars. Some cars have a mix of red and white, blue, red, yellow, and blue. So uh, another thing is, you know, I haven't actually been inside one of them. I'm thinking, like, these uh, safety operators, you know, that's inside the bunker somewhere watching you over these trucks, you know. I'm thinking, is it going to be just like a customer service center? Whenever you call in, there's like one person handling a thousand calls, you know, or they have one safety operator handling a, a couple dozen trucks, you know. And another thing is, it's going to be, you know, Embark is actually starting to put lock boxes on the trucks where they can actually put the bills of lading, the insurance cards, the registration, paperwork on there. You know, is it, they, they're going to have to hand out a, a key to every police officer on I-10. You know, that's a, another thing going on. Yeah, I, I hear I hear all these questions and all I think is like, okay, the light bars, anyone can go on Amazon and buy them. The key, somebody gets a photo of one, boom, now you've got a thousand copies of that key. If they have to have some kind of signal that they send to the truck, you know, all you need is a signal snooper. And now the thieves have that signal that they can bounce to the truck too. I just, I got no idea what they're going to do to uh, keep thieves from, you know, being able to take over these trucks when they, or pull over the trucks when they when they need to. Yeah, I mean, you got a lot of theft going along with I-10. I mean, that's border country. You got, you know, all the cartels and running along El Paso, you know, Phoenix, all, all that route. So, you know. As soon as these thieves find out how, you know exactly what they need to do to pull them over, they'll, that, I mean, it's be just a lot more freight theft, in my opinion, you know. Exactly. Whatever, whatever tools, the whatever tools law enforcement uses to pull over these trucks, that'll just be in the cartel's hands within a minute. I'm with you. I'm, I'm sitting here going, okay, first off, yes, light bars, that kind of thing is, is a question, but how are these trucks going to know where it's safe or where to pull over. I mean, it's like, are they pulling over on the shoulder? I mean, duh. How are they going to know how wide the shoulder? I mean, I guess I don't know enough about this part of the autonomous that, you know, is it, where is it going to know where to pull over? Exactly. And is is this on the highway? Is this going to be in the city? Yeah. And I, like you said, and, and now you, now you have, Something like you said, the cartel, but human trafficking, truckers against trafficking. You know, I mean, we've all, and if you've been to the border, you know, at one point you look up and you get fuel and you got, I had a, a air dam, a cap on the top of one truck years ago. And lo and behold, what's up in the top of the cap? And he looks at me like, oh, you busted me. And I'm like, get down. And, you know, uh, that type of thing. I mean, now people are going to be going, oh, do we have a way to get you across the country and you into the country? I mean, I'm with you. I mean, I mean, maybe I'm going a little too far with it. But my first thing is, is one, like you just said, recognizing the real cop and the fake one. And where are they going to pull them over at? And <laughs> OK, I'm visualizing the officer walking up the side of the truck with his hand on his gun. Sorry for laughing. And who's he going to talk to when he walks up to the window? No, it's like Rooster said, where, is he, where are they going to get the, uh, 
you know, show me your driver's log, driver. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's one of the reasons Embark is having to put these lock boxes on the side of the truck, because inside there is going to be direct contact information with the quote-unquote safety operator. But like I said, you know, I have not been to Embark's facility. I don't know what it looks like, but in my mind, I'm imagining a call center, much like an AT&T or a Verizon or you no know, you know, one person having to handle a couple dozen trucks, you know, they're not going to have their eyes on that one truck the whole entire way. Exactly. And so Ingrid, when you were hauling DOD freight, did you ever have to uh, call the, 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 the ditch tracking center? Yes. And did you ever have, were you ever tracked and they came up beside of you and oh, they yeah. gave her their credential in the window for yep. you to pull yeah. over for inspection and, you know, I've had one incident that I hit my red button in my under my dash and I had a, you know, and I own my own truck and I still had a red button. I still installed all that. And the thing was, was, of course, I was not told to stop, which we aren't until you're sent something to say, yeah, you know, they're, they're who they are. But that's that I was thinking the same thing, Justin, if, if, if this is the case, I mean, the trooper hat, and it's going to have, it's going to be hard on law enforcement. I mean, now yeah, you're going to go. This stuff is outpacing exactly. their ability to, to track any of this stuff. And their equipment. I mean, yeah. now they're going to have to figure out how this works. The training, all of the money that the government's going to put into this. But there's got to be, and I would not got to be, but I'm thinking there's going to have to be some type of equipment that they're going to have to utilize, like you said, the lockbox or, or whatever. And are they going to be able to look inside of the truck? I mean, are they going to be able to look to see if, if there's anything that needs to be looked? I mean, surely to goodness, they can't send these trucks out and think that we lock the doors and, and there's like, it's perfect inside from now on. Things wear out and things happen. I think ideally what they would love is like, I'm a trooper and I'm trying to pull this autonomous vehicle over. I have a button I can press. that like sends a signal to the truck and make it pull over. Or I have a phone number that I can call kind of like with dits. You call that number and the visualization I always had in my head, like every, anytime I ever had to call them, it was never like one ring, two ring and they answer. It would be like three rings. And then the phone was like, because <laughs> they're trying to pick it up and the guy would be out of breath. So mm-hmm. I always imagine like this big red panic button on a, on a or a big red phone on a wall, and then the guy like having to run across the office to pick it up. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, here's here's something I want to ask you too. All right, so say the truck has a headlight out, and is the trooper going to stop the truck for the headlight out, or say mm-hmm. a tail light out, or? I mean, I'm sure there's something in the truck now that's going to say, beep, 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 you have a taillight out. Uh, is the truck going to stop at the next loves and pull itself in and say, and, I mean, <laughs> I, I just don't know enough, but I'm saying when that trooper looks up and sees it has a headlight and a taillight, they're going to go, this is going to be a bigger problem than I've ever encountered with a real truck driver. I mean, they have yeah. to. And we're not at the point yet where the trucks can fix themselves. First, they got to get the trucks to drive themselves. Then they can teach it how to pull over and change its own headlight. (laughs) 
I want to see that, them change its own. Yeah, yeah. I want to see it change its own headlight. But even them going and getting the, you know, registration and everything else, the bill of ladings and and all that. That Rooster, you just really hit the nail on the head of really putting me in. I'm going to be thinking about this for days now. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Luckily the. Uh, luckily, Freight Waves has went out and shot some video of South, our camera aficionado. They're embarking plan to put up terminals at certain points, reasonable distances. I, you know, four or five hundred miles, I would say. And luckily, we do have video. You still need a driver behind the wheel of that truck to hook up to the trailer, hook up the airline. So I got a feeling that driver is going to be the one held responsible on the uh, pre-trip and post-trip inspections to make sure the truck's all right. So, uh, yeah, they can't get rid of that person behind the wheel completely. They got to have somebody to back the truck up, hint, hint, and hook mm-hmm. up the trailers. Not unless you're Gaddick. Love those guys, by the way. Love those guys. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a difference between the box truck and a you know, combination tractor trailer, you know. That, that's a lot more moving parts to worry about. Yeah, but I think what helps with them is that it's on a much smaller route. So, you know, trying to figure out where the truck goes 500 miles down the road versus, oh, it's on a set loop and it'll just come back, you know, to its home terminal at the end of the shift and we can fix it then. That's a a much easier problem to solve, I think. Okay, we're running up on over an hour here. Uh, Ingrid, it's been a pleasure as always having you on board here. Uh, Where can everybody find you? Well, you can find me on backthetruckup.com, of course, Americon 18 Wheels. Uh, you can find an article and a video a week. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me, uh, we're on TikTok, back the truck up. You can also find me personally. You can find us on back the truck up in, uh, Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter. Um, Justin's our Twitter guy. I'm not your Twitter girl. Um, you know, just, just look us up. Google one of us, Justin James, me, back the truck up, Dooner, Timothy Dooner, Michael Vincent. You know, for me, you can't spell Ingrid but one way. I-N-G-R-I-D, and it's pretty common for Brown. And you'll find me. All right, Rooster, what do we got uh, coming down the pipe for next week? Oh, next week, uh, well, while we've been recording this, wonderful podcast of ours uh the what the truck newsletter is is about to get get its launch date uh suppose so we're probably gonna be talking about a little bit about that next week uh we got the fuel tax holiday situation that's just uh getting uh referred from president biden over to congress he was wanting to suspend the federal and federal gas and diesel tax so we'll be talking about that and apparently we may actually get oida and ata the american trucking associations on the same side of the fence on this y'all when does that happen they're usually at each other's throats i'm scared (laughs) (laughs) ingrid knows (laughs) i'm scared i've had to sit at the table with both (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah in the middle well thank you everyone for listening and uh we will be back here next week on back the truck up uh we will catch you here next week thanks a lot yeah.